The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Thank you so much, Pastor Lyle. Isn't it great to know that you're in good hands? You have an experienced, seasoned pastor here. It was really nice meeting him. Look forward to some conversations. Highlands is in good hands. Amen? Some very good hands. And today... It's so good to be with you. I've been on vacation for two weeks. Does it show? Like, how would I know? How would I know? Yeah. <clears throat> I actually got more lines on my face after vacation because we travel with all of our kids, all four of them. We, we don't leave any at home when we go on vacation. And we add actually, we have a, I have a Sequoia, Toyota Sequoia, and my brother-in-law and his uh, nephew's like 20. He came down and uh, we filled every seatbelt in the car and uh, we drove, but on the way to pick them up in, in uh, L.A., we had a no, we, my wife and I, we instituted something very brilliant. It's called a no argument zone. Yeah. And we had to pay them to, 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 because, uh, you know, they're like, yeah, they're like, who cares about your no argument zone? I want to argue about that, actually. And so, so we said, if we reach San Diego without an argument, you will get twenty-five dollars. And they're like, they're like, oh, and they start smiling, you know. And then I and we said, because we already anticipated this, we said, and, and if you argue with us, or if you have any negative comment about any, we will deduct money from your from your uh, account. And so it was it was great to see them go up and down and back up again. And so it was really wonderful uh, to be away. Went to the Dodger game July fourth. Saw the fireworks and. San Diego, Ventura. So it's really good to be here in Paso and with you. Today I want to I look at a text that really speaks about when Jesus uh, just empowers and, and really gives instructions to his disciples in their great time of transition. Life is full of transitions, isn't it? In fact, if you notice what life is all about, it's, it's all about adjustments. That it's when we refuse to make adjustments, it's when we refuse, when we try to go back to the way things were, we try to force life into an older mold. It's when we're, we create more problems for ourselves. And so, how do we make adjustments? What does is, what is Jesus expect of us in this interim period, not just for Highlands in their interim period before the next pastor, uh, and we're, we're grateful to have pastoral leadership now, but what about this whole interim period, the church waiting for Christ to come, because that is the greatest transition that we can experience right now. So I want to talk about spirit-filled waiting. You know, there was a group of travelers who were being made to wait uh, on their airplane. I know that's never happened to you before, but it was for this case of travelers, and it was late because another flight was canceled or being canceled, and so it's something that none of us like to be in uh, is, is some line or some type of waiting, but the crowd looked very impatient. They, they, they looked very horrible, you know, in their impatience, and it, they just waited on and on and on. Finally, this guy, he's angry. He just got up from his seat. He, he just charged right through the line. There was a big line already, and he just cut, and he got to the front of the counter. He slammed his ticket down. He says, I need to get on that plane right now. And the, and the flight attendant looked at him kind of, you know, like this. And he says, and I need to be in first class right now. And she said, excuse me, sir, but you have to wait in this line like everyone else. And he said, do you know who I am? 
And she said, she smiled, picked up the intercom. She says, excuse me, everyone. We have a passenger here who does not know who he is. <clears throat> if you can come up to gate 17 and, and help him find his identity, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> but isn't it true that it is in waiting that you find out who you are, what you're made of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Have you ever been forced to sit and wait or to wait in line or just to wait? Obviously, it's something we do all the time. It's not something we really sign up for. Uh, personally, I don't like waiting. Uh, I remember waiting in traffic in L.A., waiting in traffic in San Diego, going, what is going on here? I'm not used to all this traffic. I don't like waiting in line anywhere. That's, that, in, that includes the post office. If I have any postal employees, God bless you, but I don't like your lines. Uh, that includes the banks, unless they have good coffee, which they don't. Uh, <laughs> hospital, emergency rooms, we love you doctors and nurses, but it takes a long time to get in there. But you know what? Sometimes we just have to wait. I mean, if you pray at all, in your longings, if you're in touch with your longings, what you're waiting for, we love to hear when God says yes. We don't like when God says no. And we fight no's, and we can't wait for yeses. But God many times says wait. And we don't like that either. Have you ever gotten a no or a wait answer, and then time goes by, and then you realize, ooh, that was a good answer. I needed that no. Ooh, if you would have said yes to that, Lord Jesus, thank you for saying no to that. And thank you for making me wait. I mean, it's not something we pray for. Lord, I just pray that you'd make me wait longer. <laughs> Character transformation right now, Lord. I remember Paul's words where he says, love is patient. It's loving to be patient. We need to be patient. We don't want to run ahead of God. Have you ever done that? We don't want to remain idle or stagnant either in our faith. And so today's conversation is what I want to get into is not my idea what we should be doing, but what Jesus' idea is for us in times of transition, if you're waiting for something, and ultimately we are waiting on the Lord for His return, what should we be about? Who are we? Do you know who I am? How can we find ourselves more in tune, more, more filled with the Spirit of God? Let's look at the Scripture. Acts 1, 1 through 11. And it goes like this. This is God's Word, church. In the first book, that would be the, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus. That's probably uh, a, a wealthy donor who helped Luke prepare all of these all of this research and the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts maybe a community in the first book Theophilus which literally means lover of God I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven that would be gospel of Luke all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles apostles means sent ones and he chose those disciples whom he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them, that is, to the apostles, by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus' favorite thing to talk about, the thing he preached about, the thing he taught about, the thing he demonstrated was the kingdom of God, that the domain of God is this earth and the, the whole world. And that the domain of God is ruled by the king of kings. That God reigns. That is the Christian message. God reigns over every kingdom. Every king and queen. While staying with him, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. They weren't from Jerusalem, but they were there. Remember, it was the Passover that brought them there in Jesus' passion, his suffering. He said, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. Have you noticed that Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father? This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? I love this question. Is this the time? After having been crucified, they threw their bets, shot at you, and you are still alive. You were raised from the dead. Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time that you're going to kick out the Romans, the pork-eating pagans who we pay taxes to. And he says this, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee. Notice they're from the north, not from Jerusalem. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, may my words be filled with yours. And if they're not, may they be forgotten. But if they are, may your words be planted in us. Provide us a bedrock in the storm. Provide us instruction and even more, provide us with courage and strength. And may they be put into practice, Lord. Rearrange our schedules, our finances, our way of thinking and living because of you, for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The apostles have just seen Jesus for the final time before he ascends into the clouds. He commands them not to go back to where they were living in the north, in Galilee, but to wait there in Jerusalem. They were not from Jerusalem. They had to extend their 
time there until they would receive a baptism that is a a full experience of the Holy Spirit that they had witnessed Jesus have in his ministry. They were to wait until that time. Then they would do something there in Jerusalem and beyond. But they had to wait. Jesus spends 40 days appearing to his disciples, to his apostles, and the scripture says that he gave them many convincing proofs. I find that very comforting because here we are 2,000 years later in Paso and neither you nor I have seen the Lord face to face and yet you're here. But they, the first ones, needed many convincing proofs. They needed to see him not just once, not just twice. They needed to eat with him. They needed to touch him in order to really sink in that it really was him. Many convincing proofs. This is an important point, and it cannot be minimized or overlooked. It is the resurrection, my friends, that gives you and me assurance and hope that we can believe all that Jesus has said and done and all that God has said and done to his peoples throughout time, that you can believe the Scriptures because there is resurrection power in Jesus. If you take away that, he is someone just like all the others. And there's no guarantees, there's no promises, there's, there's, there's no way to, to assure you that it's true. And that Christianity is more, oh, way more than a set of, of, of wisdom teachings, a set of principles, a, a formula. It's, it's, it's none of that. It's an experience of being found belonging to God in Christ Jesus. I love how the Heidelberg Catechism, it's a 500-year-old, almost a 500-year-old way of teaching people in the faith, whether they're young or old. It's, it's called Heidelberg because that's the city in Germany where it was written by two people. And a catechism which is a way of training people with a question and answer format. I use it with my daughters sometimes on Sundays. There's times where I miss, but I, I, I need something to teach them. And, and I use the Heidelberg Catechism. I love the first question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And it goes like this, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it continues. That I belong. That's the greatest comfort of my life. And that's Christianity. You belong to Jesus. And this resurrection power that Jesus has is, is, is not some event that we think happened before. It's not an event that we just simply hope will happen later. It's, it's embodied in a person before Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, before he resurrected, before he ascended, he told Mary, I am the resurrection. I am the life, he says. I love that. Jesus knew as, as fearful as death is, as painful as that death would be, as worrisome as that agony would be, he knew that in him was resurrection power. It is in Christ 
that we find the power that creates worlds, that recreates people. It is in Jesus who lives forevermore. It's in His blood. It's in His name. It's in His word. It's in His spirit that rearranges and reorders and restructures and re-energizes and recreates the world. And that's why the disciples put their lives down. That's why any disciple dares to put their life down before him, puts their faith and trust in him, puts their weight down on him, their careers, their dreams, their, their relationships, their money, in essence, their worship. They lay it down. Disciples lay down their lives for him. And it says that he presented himself with many convincing proofs. I, I find that comforting because we are people that many times look for proof. Have you met people and you're discussing the scriptures with them or the gospel or your testimony and they say, but yeah, but I need proof. And that's how we're wired. And I think Jesus meets us where we are. And Jesus met the disciples where they are, and they're huddled together. And you know, the first time Jesus sees them after his death, he, they're in a locked room. Why? Why are they in a locked room? Because Jesus is dead. And what will they do to his followers? Probably something similar, if not the same. Eight days later, after he appears to them, they're still my friends, in a locked room. Forty days later, about 40 days later, they're they're still not much better. It's true, eventually they come from behind the locked doors, but they're still rattled. They're still afraid. They have seen Jesus die. They've seen everything that Jesus does before that. They see Jesus after death. They can't believe it. It's too marvelous for their eyes. They touch And Jesus eats with them again and again with them in order for them to really understand it's really Him. It's not a ghost. It's not someone else. It is Him. It's the same body. But they still are missing something. And it's not really impressive, His disciples, the way they look after Jesus is resurrected. They don't look like the people who are going to conquer the world, who are going to change the world. There's something missing are we any better i had this thought i can't be too harsh on the disciples because i'm just like them am i any better knowing all the things that i know all the classes that i've taken all the classes that i've given all the sermons that i've given am i any better than them no i'm not i'm not any better at sharing my faith in fact i'm timid at sharing my faith It's easier for me to stand before you and preach a sermon to a big room than to deal with one person with questions. But some of you are like, actually give me that one person. Now you can keep the crowd, okay? So we we, we need each other. But it's, I find myself at times tongue twisting at times. I I don't know what to say at this point. I I said too much. You ever done that? Oh man, I said way too much. I wish I had an answer for that. I tell my kids, they ask me questions. I go, ooh, let me get back to you on that. Let me schedule you an office hour after I study about that. Even with my kids, I, I, find, myself, I find myself timid. 
I'm no better. We're, we're no better than them. You know, when you start sharing faith, it's contagious. It, faith is contagious. When people see that you have a bedrock, that you have a faith, that you, you're, you're unshaken. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah you're, you're hit and you're blown, but you're not knocked down, as Paul says. And, and it's always going to create new growth when you, when you dare to follow Jesus. And, and they knew all the stuff, and they still needed something. And I find that there are Christians who are afraid to grow in their faith for whatever changes might be anticipated in their life. They, they know there's going to be something required of them. Some, some people don't want the church to grow because then it, it gets messier. It, it ruins it when we get more people. Some people have pretty much said, they'll, they'll sit in my chair. They'll park in my parking spot. Do they know it's mine? You know, I park there every week. Okay. Really, it's your chair. It's your, it's your parking spot. No, we can never be satisfied with that kind of thinking. You should be joyful that someone is in your seat. You should be joyful that someone parked in your spot. Especially if it's someone that is searching, that just barely walked in here, sat down, uneasy, searching for God, and, and they find themselves that God has been searching for them already. And they're kind of uneasy because they've had a bad experience or a number of experiences of their life, especially with the church. And so we should be joyful when we see people coming. And, and wanting to know the Lord. Amen? You know, but too often, I, I think, just like later when after this worship service is done and, and everyone finally leaves, you know, we'll lock the doors because, you know, we have some expensive equipment. Isn't this nice, that, what Caleb plays? It's kind of nice. So we want to lock that up, right? <laughs> it's not like, I love the Catholic Church uh, sanctuaries that they have. They're always open. And it's because they don't have bands, many of them, right? <laughs> right, it's open. Come on in. You can't, yeah, try to lift that table. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> try. It's 8,000 pounds, okay? I think, I think we like things locked up, and if we're honest, uh, we like the church locked up. Uh, we like it to be for us. Churches never should be that way alone. We should take care of one another, but always make room for others. Always. And, and that's because our, our, there should be unlocked doors on our hearts and our homes. We should have that. Jesus has high expectations of this group. He's been with them. He's poured his life out for them. Something was missing. He knew something was missing. Something wasn't right. They knew all the nice things to know about Jesus. They had first eyewitness account of Jesus, and still they lacked something. I like what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah speaks about the joy of the Lord when he says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name than within me, there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm wary with holding it in, and I cannot hold it in any longer. I cannot, I will not, I should not hold it in what God has given me. I love that. 
That's ministry. It's when you can't help but operate in the overflow of God's joy in your life. We're talking about a joy that has to be shared or it's going to burn in you a hole, a fire in you, uh, like a river that overflows. That's what's missing. That's what's missing. See, you've been with me, Jesus says. You've been with me. You've seen me. I've done ministry in front of you. I've done ministry next to you. I've, I've seen you minister in front of me. Now you're going to do it without me here physically. But I will be with you, with my spirit in you. Yeah, it's, a, it's a marvelous leadership of Jesus that Jesus always was teaching them how to minister knowing that he would leave and come back. That he gets out of the way. Good ministers, good pastors, good leaders train their people so they don't need to be there. Right? Isn't that that what parenting is? Praise God. That I don't need to be here Why do I always? Have, why do you straighten up everything when I walk in? Why are, you, why are you doing that vacuuming when I walk in? I want that done before. All right, that's a personal message. Uh, that, was, that was a personal moment. I love my girls. I have a 15 and a 13-year-old girl, and then a 6- and 4-year-old boy. So, yes, praise God for our children. What we need, what we need more than a sermon more than an agenda, more than knowing the times and seasons. You know, a lot of Christians have all these charts about the end times. Jesus says, it's not for you to know all that. What you need more than a chart, more than an agenda, more than all the details is you need what I have. What you lack is not more knowledge. What you lack is not details. What you need is power. And I'm going to give you my power. When, I, when Jesus comes out of that water, he's filled with the same spirit that hovered the waters of creation, that filled David and the prophets, that filled the temple and made a cloud appear. And they, the priests could not do what they were set out to do because they were overwhelmed with the presence of the living God. What would happen if your home was filled with the presence of God? Your job, your car, what would happen? Fill us up, Lord. And so he ordered them to wait. He says, you know what? Uh, What you need to do is stay together because it's when you stay together and pray, I'm going to give you what you need. And there's no room to go backwards. And there's... There's no reason to go forward just yet. What you need is more of me because I must leave in order for you to get more of me, all of me, anytime, anywhere. And as painful as it was for them to see Jesus die, it must have been just as painful and weird and awkward to see Jesus ascend. And they are there gazing up, and I love this. Here's, here, here they are gazing up toward heaven like, did, we, did, did that just happen? Is he coming back? Like in five minutes? When, I don't know why I looked down. They didn't have watches back then. 
Like the sundial. They looked at the sundial. Okay. And I love that. That there's two. It looks like two angels. And they're like this. What are you looking up for? What do you mean, what am I looking up for? Jesus just left in that cloud, man. Of course, you don't talk to angels that way. He said, why are you looking up? He's coming again the same way. You don't wait for Jesus staring up in space. Get on with what he said to do. First thing you need to do is wait for what Jesus promised through the Father. And once you have that, you're going you're to be waiting for him, not idle, not staring into the sky, but being empowered witnesses. See, that's what we need. We need power. We want the details. No, no Lord, I want details. I want the plan. You ever pray that prayer? Lord, I want the plan from 1 to 10. Oh, by the way, I already have ideas. So uh, <clears throat> I have them footnoted and I have uh, references for these. And God says, mm, you know, it's good to have a plan. But what you need to do is pray for my power. Let me ask you a question. What are you waiting for? Tell me what you're waiting for. I'll tell you what's really valuable to you, at least that you think in the moment. Some of you are waiting for that, for that job because you lost a job a while ago and, and you're languishing. And you need a job. And the Lord knows that you need a job. Saying, well, I don't think he knows because I've been waiting a long time. Well, are you too picky? You just waiting for that dream job? Sometimes we, you know, there's sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to do what you ha- want to do. Amen? So be, be faithful. You probably have an idea that you passed something up already. Or maybe you haven't and the Lord's going to open up something to you. I pray that the Lord would open up jobs for people who need jobs. What about, what about, uh, what are you waiting for? A cup of coffee? A nap? Time? This dream life that you think you're going to have? A, a child? A better relationship? A relationship? How about a relationship, God? How about this? Retirement. Some of you are waiting for retirement and you're checked out of your job. I'm just waiting. I'm not putting my all in it. You're missing the worship of worshiping God in your context right now. Because you're waiting on something else. Now, those are all good things because we want comfort. We want peace. We're waiting for those things. Some of you are just waiting on the lottery. You want to become rich. And you keep buying those tickets. You know that they say the lottery is for people who failed at statistics. Some of, you, some of you want to just, uh, just waiting for your credit cards or your debt to be paid off, but you keep paying the minimum. <laughs> got real quiet in here. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Why you got to talk about credit cards, Pastor? That's not in the text. Stick with the text. Some of us are waiting for me to finish so you can go to lunch. I know what I'm waiting for. It's called a BLT. You need to let me leave right now. 
You just end right now and stop talking about waiting. I don't have to wait anymore. <laughs> See, your, your time is valuable, right? So we think. So what you wait for, what is the biggest longing of your heart, is what you're waiting for. And usually, usually, not always, we have to be careful that it can become an idol. It becomes something that we worship and prioritize and everything else suffers, especially our understanding and vision of what God would want us to do. And it's not a bad thing to, to ask for a job. It's a good thing. But is that getting in the way of you listening to what you should be doing overall? And Jesus says what you need is not to know the times or the seasons for when I'm going to restore Israel or restore your life or restore fill in the blank. What you need is me, more of me, and I'm going to give you more of me. And you're going to be my witnesses, and I'm going to end with this. He says you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. That's the home base. That's where it all started. That's, that's where my movement through you is going to be launched in. That, that's where the mother church was, and it no longer exists as we know it. There's a church there. There's Christians all over the world. But the actual first church no longer exists as we know it. That's where the temple was. Until A.D. 70, that's where Jesus' destiny was fulfilled. He embraced the passion of dying and suffering, and he was vindicated in that same outskirt of the city. And though it doesn't remain as the mother church today as we know it, it, it's still, it is, we're still grateful for those first Christians. Aren't you grateful to be a part of that lineage, to be, to be connected with that movement. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not going to just be my, my, my ministers, my witnesses in that great city, the, the city of Zion, the city of the Lord. But you're going to be my witnesses around the outskirts in that whole region of Judea. Judea is the southern portion of Israel. It's the greater area. It's the larger area. It's beyond the city limits. It's, it's where smaller villages are. Now, this is not just a message for the city. This is a message for the village. This is a message that can be translated anywhere for the high places and the low places. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say it's for the big city. He doesn't just say it's for the small village. You know what he says? He says it's for Samaria. Jesus, are you sure? Samaria? Jews don't go there. Samaria is an area Jews traveled around. Why? Because Samaria is filled with people we don't agree with, people who don't even like us. We surely don't like them. They're half-breeds. They're half-Jew and half-something else, if at, at best. And so we'd rather not go there, but Jesus says, if you're my witnesses, you're going to go in a place you're going to go in places, and you're going to speak to people that you may have prejudice against already. And my work in you is going to cut those down. It's going to heal your heart. It's going to, it's going to clear your mind of all that nonsense and clutter that you've picked up along the way. Who are we to say that we are better than anyone? In fact, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you see people as Jesus sees them. And Samaria is a place that we go to. 
Because you can't do ministry at the ends of the earth unless you should have done it in where you live, in the surrounding areas, surrounding areas and especially the places that you don't want to go. Who is different from you? Who do you have a prejudice against? Who is racially different from you that you don't necessarily like to be around? You're uncomfortable to be around. That's your Samaria. That's our Samaria. Let me tell you, in every city there are Samaritans. Every city. Every church must ask, who's our Samaria? Who are the people that are, that are being pushed off the radar screen? You know, in Acts, they were first called Christians when Jews and Gentiles that are pagans, that, that, that aren't Jews by blood or faith, worshipped Jesus together. They were called Christians. Jesus never calls us Christians. He calls us witnesses. But when you become witnesses of Jesus, barriers are broken down. Is that something you want to be a part of? Is that something that you want to invest your life in? Who are you waiting for? I think in this time of transition for Highlands, it's important to note that we can't go back to what we had. You need to, you need to get that squarely into you. I think in our lives we need to do that. And waiting provides us an opportunity to examine us our priorities, our expectations, and we need to make adjustments as we listen to the Lord what's required of us. We can't go back to the way it was, but there's a new future. Amen? And I think Jesus knows what we need, what we need. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you what I have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need what you have. We confess that another book, that another lecture, that another series, as good as they are, another song won't fill the void in our heart. What we need is you. Some of us are languishing here waiting for comfort and healing from a disease, from a broken relationship, a broken life. And we're waiting on the wrong things. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an unanxious trust in you. Lord, let pain not just be relieved but healed in your name even now. The pain of loss, the pain of being overlooked, the pain of being hurt. Lord, let, let doubt and failure and fear give way to faith, hope and love. Breathe on us your spirit today. We're missing our first love. We love you, and we're grateful, Lord, that your love 
breaks down barriers and keeps us close to you. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.